And the third is, he prepares us for his glory. So he protects us, he presents us, and he prepares us. So we'll start with protecting from stumbling. If we could, do you guys have the slides available? Comes into our language for the word dynamite. Kids, can y'all say dynamite? Yeah, no, this is an interactive sermon when I say it's interactive. Kids, can you say dynamite? Very good. Now, can you say dunamos? You've all have just spoken Greek. Congratulations. So, what Jude is saying here is that God is super able. He's powerful able, like dynamite. Back when they, and they still do this, when they're trying to cut roads out of mountainsides, you know what they use? Dynamite. Yes. Boom. God is super able to keep us. Look at that. He is super able to keep. If we're reading the ESV, which is what we have, the English Standard Version, which is what we have in our text on page 10, now to him who is able to keep. Many other translations translate this word, thulaso, as guard. As a matter of fact, we have it in like 1 Samuel 19. Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. The be on your guard. Most of the times when we see this word, this Greek word, used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's guard. Many times in the New Testament, it's guard. So we're to, we're to see that God here, God is super able, not just to keep us from stumbling, from, to guard us from stumbling. He's able to guard us from stumbling. Now, how would the two be different? Let's say a friend of yours gives you a small box. He says, I'm going to give you this box. You don't know what's in it, but it's small. It's kind of heavy. He puts it in your hands, and the words that come out of his mouth are, I want you to keep this for me. What do you think? Okay, sounds great. I'll take it, maybe put it on the top shelf in the kitchen, right? Now imagine this. Same friend comes to you, same box, same weight, same feel, and he says, I want you to guard this for me. Now, you take that very differently, right? You're not going to put that on the top shelf in a kitchen cabinet. You also are going to wonder what's in the box, right? But that is a much more serious word than merely to keep. Hey, would you keep this for me? Okay. Hey, will you guard this for me? It means that there's something valuable in there. And that is the language that what we, if, for what we have here. He is super able to guard us from stumbling. He's able to guard us from stumbling. But if you look back in 21, you might have this question. Verse 21 on page 10, it says, keep yourselves in the love of God. I want to point out that this word keep is actually a different word than the one that's used in verse 24. The keep used in verse 21 is tereo, which means like to keep or to watch over as opposed to guard So the difference is this. How do we put verse 21 and 24 together? Because it seems like Jude is saying, hey, you better keep yourself in God, and then God will keep yourself, keep you in him. 
But really what's going on is we've got to watch that we stay close to the Lord, but only He can guard us from stumbling. We've got to watch that we stay close, but only He can guard us from stumbling. So what is He guarding us from? He's guarding us from, from stumbling. This is a word that was used at this time to talk about a horse that is sure-footed that doesn't fall over. I don't know, how many of you have ridden a horse? You don't have to raise your hand. How many of you have ridden a horse and felt really unsteady on the horse? It's a very bad feeling. The idea here is that he is guarding you from an unsteady horse. You're on a big horse that's just kind of plodding along. He's keeping you sure-footed. He's keeping you free from falling. So, and you know, this is something for us to really consider. The picture here is not, it's not exciting. It's really not. That he will guard us from stumbling, just keeping us plodding along. But I think this is, in Christianity, it's important for us to think about it this way. You and I, we got to play the long game. Christianity is not about the highs and the lows. For those of you who have been, for instance, to summer camp, you, you understand what, what it means when I say you got a summer camp high, right? You go to summer camp, you're excited about Jesus, you come back, and then you have to do laundry, and you do your chores, and you do homework, and then you're back to normal. And then we have lows as well. Lose a job, lose a spouse, lose a house. Our goal is not to look at the lens of our walks in terms of the highs and the lows. Our goal is just to keep plodding along faithfully. And this allows us not to panic when things arise in our lives. Because God is super able to guard us when we're stumbling, from stumbling. He's super able to guard your spouse from stumbling. He is super able to guard your kids from stumbling. And our response is to relax, to believe that God's in control, to believe that this verse is actually true. It keeps us from going into anxiety mode is what it does. So our goal is just to plot along faithfully until Jesus returns, we die, and that's it. Now that, like I said, that is not, that's not entertaining, but that's the way the Bible puts Christianity. We're in, not for the sprint, but for the marathon. And God, the whole time, is keeping us from stumbling. He's keeping us from falling down. So first, he protects us from stumbling. And second, he presents us blameless with great joy. Now this word blameless Amamos. Kids, are you listening? Can you say amamos? Amamos. No, we got to do this better. Amamos. Very good. That means blameless. And this is the word used of sacrifices in the Old Testament that God would require spotless, without blemish. And yet here, 
It's applied to you and me, right? It's applied to you and to me. He is able to present you blameless. Now, you see, the only way that you and I are going to be able to stand blameless in God's presence is this. You know, and I know, by the Bible, just by knowing many of you, we are not spotless people. We are not blameless people, right? The only way that we're seen as spotless or blameless is if we're seen in Jesus. You know, if you look at the New Testament, I think 127, round about that times, it talks about us, the Christian, being in Christ. Oh, well over 100 times, in Him, in the Son. And if you think about it, with us actually in Him, if Jesus is a big circle and we're in Him, when the Father looks at the Son, what does He see? He doesn't see our spots and our blemishes. He doesn't see our sin and our shame. What He sees is Jesus and Jesus alone. So in the knowledge of that, His goal is to present us blameless. Not blameless because you are blameless, but blameless because you are in Jesus, and Jesus is blameless. His sacrifice has made us this way, and we are in Jesus. I wonder how might this apply to what we saw earlier in the book of Jude when we see Michael the archangel contending with the devil, disputing about the body of Moses. Uh, when we, when we looked at that text, we looked at how Satan, in his very nature, he is the accuser. He was accusing Moses in that passage. You know, Moses killed this Egyptian, and therefore he shouldn't be given a proper burial. I believe it was in our bulletin last week from Zechariah, when Joshua, the high priest, is standing there, and Satan is standing there to accuse Joshua the high priest. It is not just Joshua and Moses whom Satan accuse. He accuses us. This is something that the reformer Martin Luther actually wrote, wrote about extensively. And Satan's particular influence, what he wants to do is to accuse. Think about what those accusations might be in your head. When you hear accusations, what do they sound like? I'm not doing good enough as a father. I'm not doing good enough as a husband. I'm not keeping the house clean enough. My business is not successful enough. My kids aren't well-behaved, and that's my fault. I haven't eaten the right way. I haven't exercised enough. I've exercised too little. I said that word that I shouldn't have said. I've kept others under my thumb. I mean, some of these are sins, some of these aren't, folks. You and I both know we live in a world where the accusations are hurled all the time, and 99% of them are up here. What this text is telling us is that the word on us has already been said, and it is blameless. Amamos, blameless. 
You are not the father you should be blameless in Jesus. You are not the mother you should be blameless in Jesus. And it is, it is a very important thing for us to counter the accusations with biblical data. God gives us his word for our good. And he's telling us that the whole goal of us contending and getting there is to be able to present us blameless with great joy. You know, it's been said, I don't know who said this, but I heard it a long time ago, there's two ways in which people will enter into God's presence on the last day, either with great terror or with great joy. If you could imagine coming before the God of the universe, the God who created the universe, who holds the atoms together, who makes uh, an F5 tornado look like a gnat, who makes black holes seem weak, and you show up before him to be judged on the last day, you will feel one of two things, terror or joy. And the only people who are going to feel joy are those who know that they have a Savior who has made them blameless. So you don't feel joyful day in and day out. I don't. For those of you who have gotten to know me, you realize that sometimes I'm a grump. And I don't do fake joy. Do you know what I mean by fake joy? Oh, honey, how you doing? Oh, just bless your heart. When they're not really happy to see you. We struggle in and out of joy. What we're looking forward to in this text is the joy that comes when we're finally and fully in his presence. So, he, so one, he protects us from stumbling. Two, he presents us blameless with great joy. And three, he prepares us for his glory. You know, this, this word glory is a strange word, I think. If I were to ask you all, let's say we did a little survey in church, and I were to ask you in a sentence to define glory, I think we would get a hundred different definitions. It's one of these words that's kind of thrown around a lot, not really de defined. As a matter of fact, I would recommend a, a work by C.S. Lewis. It's actually an essay, and it's free, and you can get it online. C.S. Lewis wrote this article called The Weight of Glory. And in it, he really debates kind of two things. When he thinks about glory, thinks about light, like luminescence is glory. And he says, also, it's like, like a father being proud of a son, glory, scoring the last touchdown type of glory, right? And in it, he talks and says that it's actually kind of both of those. Whenever Jesus is is transfixed at the transfiguration, he sh his clothes shine, shone white. And he was also well spoken of. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You and I are made blameless so that when in God's presence, we can actually stand. Otherwise, we'd be obliterated. And he wants us in the presence of his glory. You know, this is, this is actually the fulfillment of the very thing for which we were created. 
If you remember, when God created in Genesis 1 and 2, when he created the world, he said in Genesis 1, let us make man in our image according to our own likeness. And so he made man, and he said, it's not good for the man to be alone, so he made the woman. And the reason he made the woman was because of who God is. Our God, as the Athanasian Creed says so, so perfectly, our God is Trinity, and Trinity in unity. Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons, one God, and so when he created man, you and me, he created us to have a desire for the type of relationship that the Father has with the Son, the Son has with the Spirit, and the Spirit has with the Father. The intra-life of God. He created us to share in that. And this picture that Jude gives us, you and I are going to stand with great joy before the presence of his glory. That you and I are finally enjoying that and relishing in that in ways that Adam and Eve could not fathom. That is what we're going towards. I want to read you, to try to get our minds there, I want to read you, really try to finish out with this extended quote from C.S. Lewis talking about glory, to give us a picture of what this might look like. I think you and I understand blameless. I think you and I understand guarded. But glory, sometimes it's just very ethereal, hard to imagine. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, for if we take the image, excuse me, for if we take the imagery of Scripture seriously, if we believe that God one day will give us the morning star, and cause us to put on the splendor of the sun, then we may surmise that both the ancient myths and the modern poetry, false as history, may be very near the truth as prophecy. At present, we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and purity of morning, but they do not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendors that we see. But all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with a rumor that will not always be so. Someday we shall get in. When human souls have become as perfect in voluntary obedience as the inanimate creation is in its lifeless obedience, then they will put on that greater glory of which nature is only the first sketch. For you must not think that I'm putting forward any heathen fantasy about being absorbed into nature. Nature is mortal. We shall outlive her. When all the suns and nebula have passed away, each one of you will still be alive. We are summoned to pass in through nature and beyond her into that splendor which she fitfully reflects. You see what Lewis is saying here, all these things that we think may be glorious. The morning sun, the evening dawn, the splendor of a sight like the Grand Canyon, a massive thunderstorm rolling in across the Oklahoma plains. We don't become those things. Not now. 
But Jude is saying there will be a time when the very thing that we think is glorious, we actually become that and are wrapped up in that. That's the beautiful way that that Jude finishes his letter, telling us to contending for our faith, but reminding us the only way we're going to do it is if God and God alone is there guarding us, he's presenting us blameless, and that there's an end plan that we will be wrapped up in his glory. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give us a vision for that. We ask that you would fulfill your word, which we know you will, that you will protect and guard us from stumbling, that you will present us blameless with great joy before your presence. Father, we're, we can't imagine what that'll be, but we thank you that the work is done for us in Jesus and that you are faithful to complete what you have started in us. So we praise you and give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.